You're listening to the sermon podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. You probably know I am Tim Paul. Uh, Most of you are at least familiar with me as I'm usually up here um, with the worship team singing and praising God in that way. Um, But today I have the honor of speaking and preaching um, the Word of God. Uh, Today we'll be looking at a passage in 1 Timothy following our series. Um, We'll be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 11 through 16. Uh, And as we get into the word today, we find ourselves towards the end of Paul's letter to his young friend Timothy as he is pastoring a church in Ephesus. Um, Paul is directing him on some of the issues that he's encountering and is counseling him through this letter. We, uh, once again, our passage is 1 Timothy 6, uh, chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. Um, Let's go ahead and read that out now and seek the word of God. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from, from reproach until the appearing of the, our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Let's... Um, Go before the Lord in prayer before we seek the meaning of this word. Heavenly Father, God, I want to thank you for all that are here today, whether that be physically present in this building or those watching online. Father, I thank you for calling them to you and for their seeking of your word. Lord, I pray that the words that I speak today would not be of my own, but they would be of your Holy Spirit, and that your scripture would go out and not return void. Lord, I pray against any distractions and things of this world that try to pull us away from you. I pray that we would be able to focus and experience your truth and your presence here this morning. I pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever desired or done something that you knew to be wrong? Maybe it was something as simple as sneaking a cookie from the cookie jar while your mom was cooking dinner. Or maybe it's you saying something behind someone's back to slander them and to make yourself look better. Maybe it's as simple as a thought or an idea that you know is wrong, but that keeps coming back into your mind and you hold on to it. Oftentimes, when we are doing something wrong, we know that we are doing something wrong. Paul wrote this passage in part to address how we are to respond when we are tempted to do something that we know to be wrong. Paul proposes to Timothy in the passage and to us here today that because God has saved us, we must flee, follow, and fight. But what does that mean exactly? Well, the first part of this command is to flee. And flee is a very specific and strong word that Paul chose to use. 
the dictionary definition of the word flee is to run away from a place or situation of danger. Think about it like this. If you were out on a hike going up a mountain and you come around a rocky corner and you see a mountain lion hunched over its newly caught prey, it turns and looks at you and lets out a mighty roar, what would you do? You would turn and run. You would run as fast as you can, fleeing like a madman. You would flee from that situation of danger. This is the imagery that Paul is invoking when he commands us to flee. But what are we to flee from? Well, Paul wrote this passage primarily focused on fleeing the desire for earthly wealth, as there were many in the church of that day that were using the pretext of a ministry to enrich themselves and using money donated to further God's ministry to line their own pockets and glorifying their own names instead of God's. They would indulge themselves in comforts and luxuries at the expense of furthering the gospel. These practices and this concept is nothing new or unfamiliar to us here today as we see pastors all around us whose primary duty is to maximize their own comforts rather than furthering the will of God. And we, as the church, are to condemn these practices as, the, as they lessen the will of God and maximize the comforts of man. We are to condemn these and flee from the comforts that distract us from the truth of God's message. But as believers, we aren't just to be on guard against greed and the love of money. We are also called to flee from all types of unrighteousness. The need to flee from temptation is present in all forms, whether that be greed, gossip, lust, or many, many others. Throughout Scripture, we can see examples of fleeing, where it is done well and where it is done poorly. One excellent example of fleeing from this temptation is found in Genesis chapter 39 with the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Joseph, as a slave in Potiphar's household, was made in charge of his entire estate. And this position of prominence brought special attention from Potiphar's wife, who began to desire after him in a lustful way. Joseph, knowing that to engage in this would be wrong, refused immediately and fled from that situation, saying, How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? He immediately recognized the danger of the temptation from the sin and fled accordingly. On the flip side, we see in 2 Samuel chapter 11, an example of somebody not fleeing when they should. Here we find King David, who is king of all Israel, while God has blessed him incredibly. However, David was confronted with the temptation of lust when he saw a woman bathing on a nearby rooftop. And instead of fleeing this, he held on to this thought until it manifested in action and he committed adultery with this married woman. As a result of him not fleeing, David fell into a spiral of sin after sin due to the consequences of him not fleeing, leading ultimately to the murder of this woman's husband. Because David failed to take the threat of his sin seriously, he fell right into the trap of temptation, setting off a series of events that led to the downfall and the decline of his entire rule as king. David in Scripture is called a man after God's own heart, yet he failed to flee from the temptation and sin. We should never take the threat of sin in our lives lightly and fail to, to flee from it. 
The sin in our lives today must be treated just as seriously as Joseph treated the sin in his. We must flee from it, and there are many practical ways that we can do this. For example, you can flee from sin by avoiding certain groups of friends that you may hang out with and be enticed to gossip about other people with. Maybe you can avoid spending time alone at e- in the late evenings and leading to pornography and lust. Maybe that means spending less time on social media where you are consumed in timelines and snapshots where you fall into envying other people's lives and coveting their possessions. Maybe you need to avoid spending money needlessly on things that you don't need. And maybe you need to avoid watching movies or TV shows that promote untrue opinions on, or views on violence, sex, people, and more. All of these sins start off seeming like not a big deal. They seem very harmless or small, and we justify or excuse them as not being that big of a deal. But like David, you may find that one sin leads to another, and that small things that we excuse allow us to justify greater and greater offenses. Gradually, we are led further and further down the path until suddenly we realize that we are in a place completely unrecognizable to us. Sin will always entice you farther than you would have ever thought, and its grip on you is always tighter than it seems. Flee from it at the very beginning. Do not allow it to get a hold of you and lead you into ruin. Flee from it like your life depends on it, as sin is a predator like the lion waiting to devour you. You must be on your guard. Paul, in the passage, however, goes beyond just instructing us what we should run from, but also tells us what we are to run towards. He tells us to follow after righteousness, godly things, and good teachings. The first point is a call to refrain. The second is a call to pursue. There are hundreds of laws in the Bible that define for us what righteousness and godly things are, and we don't have enough time to go through all of them on any one Sunday morning. But all of them were given by our Creator, who knows us infinitely well and better than we even know ourselves. And they all point us to what righteousness truly is. And when we examine these commandments, they teach us that righteousness does not merely equal the absence of bad but also the presence of good. When we run away from evil, we can't just stop halfway when we feel that we are neutral enough. We must continue to run all the way towards righteousness. Say, for example, a struggle of yours is you are irresponsible with money. Maybe you impulse buy many things that you don't actually need. Maybe you see an outfit in the store and you just have to have it or a special accessory that you will spend exorbitant amounts on to only wear once or maybe never at all. Maybe it's any flashy item that you see that catches your eyes through a store window or whatever Amazon puts in their big banner at the top or the suggested items underneath every purchase. In this case, Paul would be instructing you to flee from that temptation. Maybe that means you need to walk a different route to stay away from these stores that end up stealing your money. Or maybe that means closing the computer, staying off Amazon and all these other shopping sites so that you aren't tempted to buy things needlessly. But more than fleeing, we must also follow after righteous things with how we use our money. 
Perhaps that means you need to give more to your church or to a charity. Or maybe that can even look like helping a struggling family buy some groceries or treating someone in a rough place to a meal. You can turn your temptations and your faults into opportunities to glorify God with your thoughts and actions. Following after God and his commandments with every opportunity and strive to be righteous, godly, faithful, loving, endurant, and gentle, as Paul writes. And we know that because God has saved us, we are to flee from evil things and follow after righteousness. However, this is a very difficult command for us to follow, as we are sinful. Obedience is a constant fight. And Paul commands us to fight this fight against our sinful and selfish desires. We see in the passage Paul tells us to fight the good fight of faith. And we are to fight these earthly desires, this ever-present pull towards sin. Back in the beginning of our sermon series of 1 Timothy, some of you may remember that Paul wrote about this great war that the world is enveloped in. And it is a war for souls between God and Satan. And that each person, whether saved or unsaved, is a battleground in this war. And we must fight in this war to even begin to flee or follow. It is a fight against our sinful nature that is present in all humans for all of time. And Paul even describes this in his own life in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Paul writes, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing." Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul is exclaiming in this passage how he is continually drawn to and commits sin, which are the things that he knows he shouldn't do and the things that he does not want to do as God has forbidden, while also struggling to do righteous things, the things that he wants to do and that he should do as God has commanded them. This is the struggle that is present inside of us as well. For example, I always think of the struggle of healthy eating. Those of you who have tried diets and other similar things know that struggle as well. Have you, I always think of this sort of choice between a plain old carrot or a pack of Oreos. Even if I throw some ranch in with the carrot, it doesn't necessarily make that a no-brainer. You still want the Oreos, especially if you take those Oreos and you deep fry them. <laughs> and then you serve them with a pristine scoop of vanilla ice cream and sprinkle some powdered sugar on top. Where they're fried in just such a way that the outer layer is just a little bit crispy and there's that faint smell of Oreo, but on the inside, the cookies are completely soft. And it has a strong scent of, man, this is going to be delicious. There's no question as to which option people desire more. 
as a proof, I'd implore you the next time a festival happens on the Strand, whenever we're doing those again, go out and try to find a carrot stand. You won't find it. It's all fried, sweet, salty deliciousness. However, there is no question as to which of these options is better for you. Obviously, the carrot is so much more healthy than these deep-fried Oreos. Our sinful nature is similar to this craving for junk food, only the stakes are a lot higher than mere physical health. Our selfish and sinful desires pull us towards the things that are harmful for us and for others, towards the things that may gratify us in the moment but destroy us spiritually, emotionally, and physically much more than deep-fried Oreos ever could. But we are called to fight against these desires, both for our own good, but also to provide a good witness to Christ. We do this by the things that we do and the things that we hold in our minds and engage in. On top of these commandments, Paul writes in verses 13 and 14, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. This commandment that he tells us to keep is to live righteous lives and avoid evil, to flee, follow, and fight. And we are to flee from evil, follow after righteousness, and fight against our sinful desires in such a way that there is no ill intent or selfish and sinful motives. We aren't doing these things for the sake of our own reputation. We're not doing these things for the approval of others acting righteous just so other people will like you stains the commandment as Paul puts it because at that point you are acting for your own glory instead of God's but how can we flee follow and fight in such a holy and unstained way if we are sinful Paul goes on to answer this in the rest of the passage in verses 13 through 16 Paul begins a shift in his writing from giving instruction and commanding to just talking about God. Paul begins to use all of these descriptive titles to refer to God, highlighting that he is the creator, calling him the life giver, highlighting that he is sovereign, calling him the king of kings and the lord of lords, highlighting that he is holy, mentioning that he dwells in unapproachable light, and also highlights that he is immortal. But why does Paul do this? Paul is writing this because he is telling us both how and why we are to follow these commandments. Paul is definitely aware of the sinful condition of humanity, as we saw in Romans 7. But he gives us these commands despite our sinful nature. He's not doing this to set us up for failure, but rather he is giving these commands because he understands something that we often forget. That our success as believers is not dependent on our ability to do good works. Our righteousness comes not from our own strength in the fight, but in the strength of the God who fights for us. When I was a kid, I used to play with those little plastic green army men. And I would always love to set them up in these big battle lines in my room and try to find the biggest, the strongest, the most powerful guys to sort of face head-to-head -head in these battles. 
And so I would always sort of think in my mind, oh, this guy is really strong. He's carrying a real big gun. And this guy is really strong because he is really beefy. But I would often discount some of the other little guys, some of the people that seemed like they weren't pulling their weight or just seemed weaker. I always think about the little guy with the radio. He's just got the walkie-talkie, and I'm like, that's not helpful. They're being, you're being attacked, and you're trying to talk on this radio. You know, well, how was your day? Oh, I'm getting attacked, and it's kind of boring. Uh, but in reality, the radio guy is not helpless or weak. In fact, he might have the key to winning the day. As the guy on the radio has the ability to call for reinforcements, he can call in a tank squadron or an airstrike on an enemy's position or call for more troops. The radio guy has this unique ability to call for help and win the day when it would have otherwise been lost. We, much like the radio guy, can radio God for help through prayer. Paul is telling us to flee from evil, follow after righteousness, and fight our sinful desires, but he knows full well that we are not able to do so on our own. And so he reminds us of who it is that we are doing all of this for. He reminds us of the God who gave us our very lives, who is infinitely bigger and more powerful than us. We can see an excellent illustration of this as God was guiding the Israelites into the promised land in the book of Joshua. When the Israelites first entered into this land, they turned to God for their help. And God showed them firsthand when they faced the strong city of Jericho that he was in control as he delivered Jericho into their hands without them so, have, so much as having to draw a single sword. The Israelites then proceeded to conquer the rest of the land, finding victory after victory against their foes, despite often being in the strategically inferior position. This is not because they were expert tacticians, but because they found their strength and victory in God. You, right now, are being reminded of whose side of this war you are on, and to remember what God has done for you. Paul is reminding you that God gave you life, creating all the cells and organizing them into your body. That God gives you breath, designing your lungs and supplying the air that fills them. He's reminding you that God keeps you safe through his sovereign providence, giving you food and shelter. He's reminding you that God came to earth as a helpless baby and lived the life of a poor carpenter and died a criminal's death on a cross so that you would be saved. God has done all of these things for you and died to save you so that now you would not have to fight this fight alone. And in Scripture, we find many examples of this. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 47, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. We see in Deuteronomy 20, verse 4, For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. And we see in Romans 8, verses 31 to 32, 
What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul is putting the commandment to flee from evil, follow righteousness, and fight the good fight of faith in perspective. Why should we listen to these commands? To please and serve the Lord God, who has so graciously and mercifully provided you with everything that you need. And how can we keep these commandments? By relying on God's strength and infinite power. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. It is God who empowers us to flee from the temptations of the world, to follow after the things that are godly and righteous, and to fight the sinful nature that is so persistent within our hearts. When we understand this, we see that we were always meant to lean on God and find victory with Him, not on our own. Our walk with God is not only progressed by our own actions and efforts, but by God working in and through us to accomplish His will. As Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When we believe this, it becomes easier for us to overcome the challenges and temptations of life because we know that it is Christ who lives in us that overcomes. We do not have to face these temptations and fight this fight alone. We can be like the little green radio guy and call for help, knowing that our God hears every single word of our prayers. And we know that we can't do it on our own, but we never have to. We can have victory over the temptations of our hearts by trusting that God will empower us to flee from evil, follow after Him, and fight our sinful natures. These commandments and truths are not just for Timothy in Ephesus, but they apply to us all. Each and every one of us is called to flee, follow, and fight. What that may look like in your life is very interesting and different for lots of different types of sin. But say, for example, when a co-worker or a family member is really getting on your nerves and you are tempted to lash out at them in anger, instead, you turn to God and ask for the patience and the love for them that God has. Maybe when you are tempted to look at pornography, instead of going to the computer or hiding away somewhere with your phone, you instead set aside all the screens and open the Bible to seek His word for encouragement to seek purity. Maybe when you are tempted to gossip or slander somebody in a group of friends, you can change the topic or leave the conversation entirely and instead pray for or even send an encouraging text to that very person, reminding both them and you that God loves them. 
All of these are examples about how we, in our daily lives, can flee from these temptations, follow after righteousness, and fight this good fight of faith, as we have all been called to do. Additionally, we are called to, more importantly, take hold of the eternal life that is found in Christ Jesus. For those of you that have already taken hold of this eternal life through salvation, remember that the life that you now live is not yours to own. It was bought and paid for on the cross with Jesus' blood poured out for you. This means that your eyes are not your own to look at whatever you please. Your hands are not your own to do with whatever you wish. Your feet are not your own to walk with and go wherever you desire. Your words aren't your own to say with whatever you think you should. And your money and possessions aren't even your own as all things were given to us by God, and he owns it all. All of these things, all of you, were purchased from sin by Christ's blood. And because of that fact, we are now called to flee from evil, follow after God, and fight our tendency to turn away from him. However, for anyone out there who has not yet put their faith in Jesus Christ and hasn't taken hold of the eternal life found through him, there is no victory over evil and temptation without God. Sin is like a predator, like that lion, and it wants to devour you and lead you away. Even though your sins might seem small, or maybe you can say, well, I'm not as bad as someone else. Sin will always lead you further away towards destruction. And any sin, no matter how small it may seem, has eternally separated us from God. And there will always be consequences for sin, even if not immediate. We, read, we can read in Romans that the wages of sin is death, which is a consequence that we have all earned because of sin's oppressive dominion over us. But God wants you to find victory today through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made on your behalf on the cross so that you wouldn't have to face life and all of its struggles on your own. That verse I mentioned earlier, Romans 6.23, goes on to say that for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is offering you an invitation to find that victory that lasts forever, to live eternally with God. If you have not yet accepted that salvation, please do not leave here today without talking to someone about how you can receive the free gift of eternal life from God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer with all that we have spoken about and learned. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray for all that hear and all that are seeing your word and your truth in their lives. Father, I pray that your word would change our hearts and that you would give us the courage and the strength to flee from evil, follow you, and fight our sinful nature. Lord, we want to please you with our lives, and we want to thank you for all of your gracious provision in our lives and in our hearts. 
So Lord, I pray that as we think on these things, as we think on your word and your truth, that when we leave this place, we don't just forget about it and think only about our lunches and the rest of our week. That we would carry your truth with us wherever we go. And that we would be lights to a dying and broken world, shining your hope and your truth of eternal life. We pray all of these things in the name of our Lord Christ Jesus. Amen.